Well, guys, uh, we only have two weeks of summer left, which is crazy. I mean, it is crazy. Uh, my kiddos are like, hey, Dad, you know when the first day of school is? I was like, yes. And we have a senior this year, so everything is important. Like, you got to do this and you got to do that. So, like, it's all beginning for us, and I'm very aware of that. Um, guys, I want you to know we're still planning on opening everything up here. Uh, the 22nd, that Sunday school would be uh, rocking and rolling at our nursery, hopefully, uh, prayerfully. Everything will be ready to go. That is our goal, and, uh, and so we're looking forward to that. But we've got to do a little work in this place to wrap up our summer sermon series through the Minor Prophets. And uh, I hope it's been good for you. I know as you've been reading through the Minor Prophets as devotional material, some days you're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to get from this, Lord. Uh, but I promise God is good in that. And, and I, I hope in that that there were, there were little Jesus moments. That as you were going through a Minor Prophet and you're like, oh, this is rough. All of a sudden you see Jesus and you're like, whoa. Uh, well, guess what? This morning we're going to see a lot of Jesus. Because uh, the book of Zechariah is, is the most... Christological or Christ-centered uh, book in uh, all of the minor prophets, in my humble opinion. Um, it's an interesting book, man. Uh, 14 chapters, which we're going to cover here in 24 minutes. Um, I don't know how that's possible, but we'll hit the highs, hopefully. Um, but Zechariah uh, has been called the revelation of the Old Testament, right? The, 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 the book of revelation of the Old Testament, because that's what it is. It's a book that's full of prophecy. I mean, chock full of prophecy. And Zechariah is an interesting guy, because he was contemporaries with Haggai, who we talked about last week. And so they both come back, and, uh, and the people are beginning to return from exile after 70 years of captivity, and they're believing, right? They're believing they're coming back to the restored kingdom of God, only they get to Jerusalem, and guess what? It ain't restored. And it's not awesome. And, 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 and the temple's not finished. And, and the city doesn't look anything close to, to the, uh, the redeemed city of God where God is going to be their God and, and, and they're going to be His people that, that the Scriptures have boasted would one day come. And so they're depressed and they're discouraged. And Zechariah's going to come along to these people and he's going to try to encourage them to finish the work of building the temple. And, uh, and, and he does this kind of in an interesting way. God gives him like eight visions. Uh, some of them are right just plain out of American Horror Story. They're scary. Uh, the woman in the basket, right? They, they have to push back down and she gets flown off of people with stork's wings. Or like, I mean, there was some stuff in there. I was like, I'm going to have a nightmare over this, Lord. Uh, there's some, some crazy stuff. But in it, again, what we see is that the kingdom of God will come, but there's something the people have to do. And that thing... Zachariah's focus is going to be that the people have to submit to God, right? So they, they're asking, when is the kingdom going to come? And Zechariah is saying, you're asking the wrong question. The question is, when are you going to be the people that are ready for the kingdom to come? Boy, that's something that should sit on us, right? As, as New Testament believers, Jesus has already come once. We're waiting for his second coming. Many of us feel just like the people in Zechariah's time. Uh, when is the kingdom going to come? And maybe the question for us is, when are you going to be the people that are really ready for the kingdom to come? Right? So let's talk about the faithfulness of God. Let's talk about the faithfulness he requires from us. And let's talk about our King Jesus. So, book of Zechariah, three things that I want to share with you. We're going to kind of keep it Jesus-centric uh, this morning. And here's the first. I want you to know that the book of Zechariah teaches first and foremost that God longs for his children to return to him. 
that God longs for his children to return to him, right? And, and this is the theme of Zechariah, by the way. It's found in verse 3 of the book. If you want to know what the book of Zechariah is all about, it's in the third verse. And God speaking to Zechariah says this, So tell the people, this is what the Lord of armies says, right? Return to me. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. And I will return to you, says the Lord of armies, right? And, and, and listen, so, so God longs for his children to what? To return to him. Of course, in this passage, in, in the book of Zechariah, when we say his children, we're talking about the nation of Israel. That's the story of the Old Testament. God created man. God wanted man to live with him. Man rejected him, right? So man was separated from him, but God still pursued us. And so God made for himself a nation. He chose a people for himself. And, and he made a nation for himself. That nation was called Israel. And God said, through that nation, remember this begins with Abraham, I'm going to bless every other nation. I'm going to bless the entire earth through you. And so, listen, God longs, he, he cares about his children, right? But of course, God sends the chosen one, his son, Jesus, the Messiah, the one who would crush sin and rebellion once and for all, who would crush the head of the serpent. Jesus comes and he's rejected by God's children. He's rejected by the Jews, Right? And so what does Jesus say? Well, he drops really a, a, a huge amount of it. By the way, the Old Testament pointed to this, but the Jews never conceived it. He says this in John chapter 10. He says, but I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, and then there will be one flock, and there will be one shepherd. And so when I say God longs for his children to return to him, I want you to know that because of God's great plan of salvation that through one nation he would bless all nations, that that includes you and it includes me, which is awesome, right? God longs for his children to return to him. That's, that, that's the really good news. So the first point of Zechariah, the theme of the book is actually good news, uh, but then we have some problems, right? So though God longs for us to return to him, something has to happen in order for us to do that. That's kind of the second thing that we learn from the book of Zechariah, that in order to return to and live with a holy God, we will need a permanent removal of sin. Let me say that again. In order to return to and live with a holy God, we will need a permanent removal of sin. And so in Zechariah's fourth vision, which comes in chapter 3, um, we get a really important picture of, uh, of the high priest. And so uh, I'm going to read to you Zechariah 3, 3 through 5. And uh, this is an image of the high priest Joshua being cleansed. It says, Now Joshua was, was dressed with filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. So the angel of the Lord spoke to those standing before him. Take off his filthy clothes. And then he said to him, See, I have removed your iniquity uh, from you and I will clothe you with festive robes. Then I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So a clean turban was placed on his head, and they clothed him in garments of white, uh, or they clothed him in garments while the angel of the Lord was standing nearby. And so uh, I just, I, I want to kind of break that down for you for a second, because guys, this is our story. This is our story, right? That passage of Scripture says that Joshua stood before them 
in, in robes or in clothes, it said, uh, that were dirty, right? Filthy clothes, it says. He's standing in filthy clothes. And, and the angel says, listen, I've removed, once he changes his clothes, says, I've removed your iniquity, your sin. And, and this is what the Bible declares about us. That we, like Joshua, are all dressed in filthy clothes, in filthy rags. Now, we don't like to think that about ourselves, right? We, we tend to think that we're pretty good people. Like, listen, I'm not dirty. I'm, I'm pretty clean. I, I, I think, like, listen, just in life, we kind of all feel that way, right? Has anyone removed any of their appliances lately? Anybody pulled out their stove lately? Anybody do that on a regular basis? Right? Anybody have to pull out a refrigerator lately? You will learn very quickly, you are not as clean as you think. Amen? Right? If you ever have to slide out your stove, you go, oh, we're disgusting. Uh, we moved not long ago, and we pulled out stuff, and I was like, dear gosh, like what happened? You just didn't even know it. You didn't even see it. You're, you're cleaning all the stuff you can see, and there's so much dirt on you. Right? And the same is true about us spiritually. This is how uh, the prophet Isaiah puts it in Isaiah 64, 6. He says, all of us have become like something unclean. And all of our righteous acts are a polluted garment. Other translations would say are like filthy rags. All of us wither like a leaf and our iniquities carry us away like the wind. You see, Joshua is a picture of us. He's a picture of us. We all have these filthy garments. But just like God cleansed Joshua, God also will cleanse us. And so we read this in Isaiah 61.10. He writes, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. I exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation, wrapped me in a robe of righteousness, as a groom wears a turban, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. I want you to notice that language. It sounds very similar, doesn't it? Garments of salvation. Robes of righteousness, a clean turban on his head. And, and I think the symbolism here is really important. See, we sing songs a lot of times about us being washed, right? I've been, have you been washed in the blood? You've got to have a country accent to sing that song well, by the way, right? I mean, we need like a, a tub base. And the old cleansing blood of the Lamb. I love that, by the way. Like, I, I, it's my jam. But I feel a lot better singing it with that accent. I'm just saying, I do. If I sing it in my normal voice, it does, it's not nearly as effective for me. Just, I don't know. It's bluegrass. I don't know. Here's the deal. We have this, this, this imagery in our head, and I, I think we, we feel this way sometimes. We think about being cleansed, and we are, okay, from the inside out. But what God does for us is greater than just cleansing us. What he does for us is actually completely remove all of our sin in his heavenly book, and he replaces it with his righteousness. He, he actually takes all of the old clothes away, and he gives us brand new, incorruptible clothes that can never be stained. What? You following me? Like, like listen, in, in the heavenly books, this is what God does for us, which is huge. It's called imputed righteousness. God imputes unto us the righteousness of his son, Jesus. See, we're all filthy. And our robes are all disheveled. And God sees it. And so what God does for us through Jesus, and this, and this is what we need to be in God's presence, we have to have our sin permanently removed. 
It's not like, oh, hey, God, just forgive me for a moment, because you will sin again in 60 seconds. Ask the Jews. That's why they had to keep killing animals. Right? We needed a permanent sacrifice for our sin, and that's why God sent Jesus, which is really our third point. This removal of sin, this removal of these garments, this removal will come through Jesus, the good shepherd who holds the office of priest and king. Let me say that again. This removal will come through Jesus, the good shepherd, who holds the office of priest and king. So uh, make no mistake who Zechariah has in mind. Uh, there's only one person who will be able to do this, who will be able to permanently remove uh, the sins of, of God's children, and, and that is the Messiah. That is, that is fully who Zechariah has in mind, is the Messiah. And I kind of want to prove it to you by just walking through some of the prophecy that he, he lies out, right? Uh, so uh, Jesus is this king he's talking about. So let's start by looking at Zechariah chapter 9. So Zechariah 9.9 9, uh, says, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a what? On a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. How does Jesus enter Jerusalem? On a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That's how he enters Jerusalem, right? Zechariah predicts this hundreds of years before it happens. I just want you to understand, when he says that somebody is coming... Uh, that's going to be the king, uh, he is talking about Jesus, the one that will be able to remove sin and iniquity, which, which Zacharias says, once and for all. He says it will happen in one day. It will happen in one day. The one that Zacharias is talking about through his entire book, 14 chapters, is none other than Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Right? Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And of course, this Jesus, this Messiah, this King, uh, who is a humble King, uh, is going to come, and He's going to come and shepherd God's people. Right? So this, this King, He's got multiple hats. So He's going to be King, He's also going to be Shepherd, uh, because God says that the shepherds that are supposed to be looking after His children are corrupt. They're bad. And so the people are lost. They're wandering around like sheep without a shepherd. And, and so, so he's going to send uh, Jesus, right? And so here's, here's what God says about the people's condition. Zechariah 10.2 uh, The idols speak falsehood and the diviners see illusions. They relate empty dreams and they offer empty comfort. Therefore, the people wander like sheep. They suffer affliction because there is no shepherd, right? There's no shepherd. So Jesus comes and he says... What? I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd is going to lay down his life for his sheep. Now, this is not anything that the Jews want to hear. They don't want to hear anything about humility. They don't want to hear anything about sacrifice. And they don't want to hear anything about surrender. What they want to talk about is politics and power and winning. American Christians, you're hearing me. We, we hitting closer to home now? See, they don't want anything to do with the suffering servant. They want to win at all costs. And so they reject the good shepherd. They reject God's solution to their sin problem. What is the good shepherd? What is, what is the Messiah actually worth to them? 
Another amazing piece of prophecy. If you're just wondering, is Zechariah really writing about Jesus? Here's what the Messiah is, is worth to them. Uh, I'll put it up on the screen. Zechariah 10, 12 through 13 says, Then I said to them, If it seems right to you, give me my wages. But if not, keep them. So they weighed my wages, 30 pieces of silver. Throw it to the potter. The Lord said to me, this magnificent price, I was valued by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw it into the house of the Lord to the potter. What is Judas' price for giving up Jesus? What was it? 30 pieces of silver. But listen, Zechariah's prophecy gets even better. That's possible. Humble king and this good shepherd will yet hold another office. He also will be our high priest. Zechariah 6, 11 through 12, we see it in the imagery, in this vision that he has about the high priest Joshua. Again, it says, take silver and gold, make a crown and place it on the head of Joshua, son of Jehozadak the high priest. You are to tell him, this is what the Lord of Armies says, here is a man whose name is Branch, capital B. He will branch out from his place and build the Lord's temple. Alright? Joshua, anybody know how we say that? Yeshua, what is Jesus' name? Yeshua. Jesus is the righteous branch. Don't believe me. Look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah 23.5. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will rise up a righteous branch for David. He will reign wisely as king and administrator uh, and administer justice and righteousness in the land. And all of it, Zechariah says, all of it hinges when it's going to happen. All of it hinges upon whether or not the people will be ready. It says, return to me, God says, and the kingdom will come. I think that's the message for Christians today. Right? It's that straightforward. Anybody tired of this junk down here? Anybody tired of the division and the ugliness and the hurt and the death Anybody's family being ripped apart by divorce, indiscretion. God says, I'm going to bring the kingdom. Are you ready for the kingdom? Return to me, and I will return to you. That's really the only application I think you can walk away from the book of Zechariah, right? It's return to Unto God. That's our, our one application point. Return to God. Return to God. Right? And what will God do? And God will remove your sin. And God will clothe you in His righteousness. Right? And, and when you have access to Him, he, he will make you His child, His own. And you'll have access to every power that He uh, has the ability to bestow upon you. Everything in the Father's house will be yours at your disposal. Under your feet, the Bible says in the New Testament. But do we want that? 
or do, we, instead of turning to God, want to keep turning to ourselves. Even worse, turning to politics and power and a desire to win. Because I don't know about you, it doesn't look like it's working to me. Amen? People of God, God loves you. He knows you. He knows you're wayward. He knows I'm wayward. And his call consistently throughout the entire Bible has been the same. Come home. Come home. I pray you'll do that this morning. If your heart has wandered, if your mind has wandered, if your love has wandered, I pray this morning would be the morning it would return home. Would you pray with me? Father, we want to confess to you corporately and individually. God, so often we just fall away. And I don't know that falling is a great term because falling makes it seem like it was an accident. The truth is we're dumb and we have spiritual ADD and we see something flashy and we run after it instead of after you. God, we are making the same mistakes that your people have made for generation after generation after generation. We are still turning to the wrong places. We're still turning to ourselves. We're still putting our hope in politics and power and a desire for control. And God, what we need to do is reflect a humble king who's willing not to arrive in the fanciest of ways, but rather to be open to public rebuke because we just want to be yours and yours alone. God, help us return to you. And Lord, as we do, would you please return to us your power and your presence and your love. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.